And as you find your seat, if you will turn with me to the book of Habakkuk as we continue our sermon series, Faithfulness Amid the Ruins, uh, looking at this minor prophet. If you don't have a Bible, no worries. There's one in front of you uh, that you can use. It's going to be on page 737 and page 738. You know, one of the interesting things is we look around the world and we listen closely to what is happening. It's interesting that both sides of the conflict of Russia and Ukraine Throw out this word glory. Uh, it's an interesting word. Um, uh, we are told that for the glory of Mother Russia, uh, for the glory of what once was, uh, is trying to be a reuniting uh, of, this, of this glorious uh, country and all that was once there. And so, again, when you are operating for the glory of something, it usually gives you nobility. It usually gives you cause. It usually gives you the fervor that you need. Uh, and so for the glory of Mother Russia, uh, there seems to be this invasion. Interesting. But I loved listening to the president of Ukraine. What a rock star that guy is. Uh, what an incredible hero uh, in the midst of it all, standing up, saying, bring it on. Uh, here I am. Uh, they're saying, you're number one target. It would terrify me. And your family's number two. Are you kidding me? I think I'd be running as fast as I could. But instead, he says, for the glory of Ukraine. Interesting. They both are operating out of the glory of their countries. For the glory of Ukraine, we're staying and fighting. For the glory of Ukraine, we're, we're going to give guns to those who are 60 and younger males and fight. We're going to try to do Molotov cocktails or whatever we can for the glory of Ukraine. But, you know, it's interesting because glory and shame... Um, are very closely united, especially oftentimes in the Bible. Uh, when one is seeking for their own glory, uh, when one is seeking for the glory of something other than our great God, uh, really what is right around the corner and what they really don't realize they might be fighting for or doing for the glory of themselves often turns into for the shame of themselves. And again, in God's wonderful providence, um, you know, for me, I'm kind of amazed that my little world of Jeff Jakes and King's Chapel, uh, several months ago, reading through Scripture, reading through the book of Habakkuk, nothing, knowing nothing about a pending Ukraine-Russia conflict, I was just stirred. I was stirred because there was such truth of who God is and, 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 and truth in God's people crying out to him, wondering in the midst of ruins, where is God, Right? in the midst of what is happening, wanting to know. And this is one of the biggest problems that, that we've faced from time began because we believe that God is an all-good God. We believe that God is an all-knowing God, and we know that God is an all-powerful God. And so if God is all-good and God is all-knowing and God is all-powerful, and then we have evil, an evil that is this clear, uh, how, how do we handle that? How do we handle a God who's in control? How do we handle a God who, who sees all things and seemingly is silent? Or when he breaks his silence, seemingly chooses a lesser, we don't understand how his ways work. Well, that's kind of where we find ourselves, uh, right here in the midst of the story. And I think in God's amazing providence uh, to us and his goodness to us, we're in the book of Habakkuk. Who would ever thought? right now because a lot of the questions that our culture has a lot of the questions that you have god is going to address 
And I love the fact, because he's going to address them for us today, why, for the glory of our great God and for the good of our neighbor, he wants us to know. And, there's, you know, we're not going to know perfectly his ways, uh, his thoughts. They're above ours. So let me bring you up to speed, especially those of you who are guests. Let me tell you. Uh, so I, I want to get that voice from uh, 24. Previously, previously, in the faithfulness amid the ruins of the book of study, the book of Habakkuk, previously, so this is what previously has been happening. It's a very short book. It's only three chapters. We're in chapter two. Uh, so previously, you got this guy named Habakkuk. And he's a prophet, and he's the one who speaks for God. But interestingly, this prophet isn't speaking so much for God to the people. This prophet is speaking directly to God. And, and what he's talking, he's, he's, he's got a lament. He's lamenting to God. He's pouring out his heart to God. And he has two complaints. He, has two, he lodges two complaints against God. And here's what's amazing. God answers them. All right? So the context of his story is Habakkuk lives in a very interesting time. He's in the southern kingdom of Judah, of God's people. It's right around 600. The Babylonians or the Chaldeans are at the door. They're about to be invaded. God's people are acting like they don't know God at all. They're acting like they're utter pagans. I mean, God's law seems to be paralyzed. God's justice seems to be obliterated. And, and here you have Habakkuk looking around saying, what in the world's going on? I mean, are, are we any different? We're God's people. We got the law. We have the covenants. We have the promises. How come we're all acting like this? What's going on, God? And he starts his complaint. Number one is, God, how long are you going to be silent? How long are you just going to just do nothing here? Are you, you're just idle. What are you doing? I mean, you're good. You're powerful. You're knowing. How long will you be silent? Do you not see what's at our borders? Again, I just can't help but Ukraine. I mean, we now, we live in a time we know what, what was building at their borders. I mean, it was imminent, right? I mean, when is it going to happen, right? So he's got the same thing. He's got these bad Babylonians at their borders. He's saying to God, complain number one, how, how long are you just going to be silent about this whole thing? So God answers him. He goes, oh, no, no, I see what's going on. I see how bad my people are. And guess what I'm going to do? I'm, I'm, I'm raising up the bad guys to bring judgment on the good guys, and he's like, whoa, my complaint number two, this is even worse. Wait a minute. You break your silence to tell me that in your hand, in your good hand, you're going to use the bad. These are really bad people. I mean, they, 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 they take and triumph over people. They literally put hooks in them like they were fish, and they drag them out, exposing their nakedness. I mean, these, these are bad people. They worship themselves. How can you use them? And so in the midst of that, really important, God says this. Hey, listen, I know what I'm doing. I got this. Judgment's come to them, but here's what I want for you. I am a holy God, but I want you to walk by faith. The righteous will walk by faith. If you hear nothing else so far, hear this. God's word says that we are made right in his image, not because of what we do, but because of what his son has done. Unbelievable. That he declares us righteous, not because we're religious people, but because we are faith-believing people. We believe in God. We believe in his promises. We believe in the Messiah. They were believing in the Messiah that would come, that would make all things right. We are believing in the Messiah who has come to begin that process of making all things right. And now we are called to walk by faith. Hit pause. How are you doing there? How is it walking by faith in a broken world? 
How is it walking by faith in your broken world? It's hard, isn't it? Isn't it? Isn't it hard to try to put all the pieces of the puzzle together and to have them make sense and say, I'm supposed to be walking by faith. But that is where we are. So we are in a part of the story where he says, hey, walk by faith. He says, I've appointed a time where judgment is coming on the wicked. So God's plan, it may seem confusing, and it doesn't make seemingly any sense why he would use the Babylonians to bring judgment on his people, but he says, walk by faith. And this morning, uh, we're going to look at, in chapter 2, God gives five woes to Habakkuk. Five woes for the wicked, for anybody who's in rebellion to him. He's going to say this judgment is coming. Aren't you glad you're here this morning to hear about God's judgment? Aren't you just so thrilled that you're going to hear about God's judgment? But I'm going to tell you something. Be thrilled because in the midst of God's judgment, there's grace. In the midst of darkness, there's light. In the midst of death, there's life. In the midst of despair, there's hope. And that's where we got to go to God's word and find these answers. So he's going to give these foes. So here are the, here are the five woes. Woe to him who plunders. Uh, and these, I'm, I'm using my own words with this. Woe to him who builds a house of cards. Woe to him who builds the city of man instead of the city of God. Woe to him who drinks the cup of shame. And woe to him who makes worthless idols. All right, so let's jump into God's word. Habakkuk chapter 2. We're going to pick up just where we left off. And we're going to pick up in verse 6. We're going to read through the rest of the chapter uh, in Habakkuk 2 through 20. But let's be mindful that this is God's holy and errant word uh, written a long time ago. Um, but God inspired it through his Holy Spirit. And it was, it's alive. It was written for you and me today. So let's hear the word of the Lord. Again, these woes to the Chaldeans or the Babylonians, same people. Shall not all these take up their taunts against him with scoffing and riddles for him and say, so this is what it's saying, say all the people that the Babylonians have captured, all the ones that they have plundered, shouldn't they all be saying this as well as God? Woe to him who heaps up what is not his own. For how long? And loads himself with pledges. Will not your daughters, debtors suddenly arise and those awake who make you tremble? Then you will be spoiled for them. Because you have plundered many nations, all the remnants of the people shall plunder you. For the blood of man and violence to earth, to cities and all who dwell in them. Second woe. Woe to him who gets evil gain for his house, to, head his, to set his nest on high, to be saved from the reach of harm. You have devised shame for your house by cutting off many peoples. You have forfeited your life. For the stone will cry out from the wall and the beam from the woodward work respond. Third one, woe to him who builds a town with blood and founds a city on iniquity. Behold, it is not from the Lord of hosts. The, people, the people's labor merely for fire and nations weary themselves for nothing. For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Fourth, woe to him who makes his neighbors drink. You pour out your wrath and make them drunk in order to gaze at their nakedness. You will have your fill of shame instead of glory. Drink yourself and show yourself uncircumcised. The cup is in the Lord's right hand, will come around to you, and utter shame will come upon your glory. 
The violence done to Lebanon will overwhelm you, as will the destruction of the beasts that terrify them, and the, for the blood of man and violence to the earth, to cities and all who dwell in them. And then the last one. What prophet is an idol when its maker has shaped it? A metal image, a teacher of lies. For its maker trusts in his own creation when he makes speechless idols. Woe to him who says to a wooden thing, awake, to a silent stone, arise. Can this teach? Behold, it is overlaid with gold and silver, and there's no breath at all in it. But the Lord is in his holy temple. Let the earth keep silent before him. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your goodness to us to give us your word. Uh, God, you're just your hand of providence to King's Chapel to have us here in Habakkuk uh, in your word in the midst of what's happening in our world. Uh, God, you are such a good God. But God, one thing is clear that you'll have to be with us, that we need you to be the teacher, that you need to speak through a broken sinner like me. So God, would you give us the ears to hear your voice and the minds that will understand your word, the hearts that will embrace your truth. God, would you give us the feet that will walk in the manner worthy of your name, that we will walk by faith. Uh, and God, that the things that are said from me that are just my opinion are wrong, may those things be forgotten and fall away. But the things that are said that are true and contain the good news of the gospel, oh God, use those things like a branding iron and sear them upon our souls and our hearts. Make us more like Jesus. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable to you, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. And it's in your name that we pray. Amen. The first thing we, we hear in this is this, in verses 6 through 8. Woe to him who plunders. And it's this phrase, what goes around comes around, right? Have you heard the phrase, what goes around comes around? And he's basically saying, hey, woe to you who are plundering. Woe to you who are taking that which isn't yours. Because guess what? What goes around eventually will come around. And I love in the midst of this woe, you have this crying out, how long? I mean, how long? And haven't we all thought the same thing? How long, God, will you wait? How long will they not get what they deserve? How long will your justice not be served? How long? So even in the midst of, hey, what goes around comes around. Those who plundered, the plunderers are going to be plundered. All right? Those evil ones, evil's coming upon them. What goes around comes around. And the question was asked, how long? And he answers, remember he actually says, in an appointed time. That God has appointed a time when things will be made right. So I love how he says, how long, O Lord? And the answer isn't, this is when. He says, this is how. Suddenly, suddenly, God's judgment will come suddenly. Scripture says, it's not a day that anybody knows. We don't know. His ways aren't our ways. But it's going to come like a thief in the night. You better be ready. It's going to come suddenly. Suddenly, it's not it answered us when, it's answered us how. And suddenly, the plunderers will be plundered. Justice will happen. What we know about the God of the Bible, we're so grateful for this, God is long-suffering, right? The God is merciful and slow to anger. Someone say, amen, thank you, Lord, I need that, right? We need a long-suffering God. We need one who's slow to anger. Can you imagine if God's word said, God has a really short fuse? God has a really short fuse, and he is ticked, right? And, you know, man, 
I have mercy, right? So scripture says about this God, he's long-suffering, that he is merciful, slow to anger, but don't ever mistake God's long-suffering. Don't ever mistake God's long fuse for God being idle or God being ambivalent. He's not. He's holy. He's just, right? And so he's, it appears to us, God, you're idle. God, you seem ambivalent. God, you seem distracted. But no, he, we know he's long-suffering. We, we, we know that, that he has a long fuse. But judgment is coming for the wicked. In this life, sometimes judgment is coming. And here's the sad thing. And sometimes in this life, it's not. Sometimes we've got to wait for the life to come. But judgment is coming. You know, I read this. What goes around comes around. It kind of points to that golden rule. Now, stick it with us. What do we think of a golden rule as Christians? Do we like the golden rule? Is the golden rule golden for Christians? Well, it kind of comes out of Scripture, right? Do unto others what you want them to what? Do unto you, right? And so that's a good thing to live by. That's a moral way of living. But I want to tell you that there's a problem uh, that's out there with evil that goes beyond out there. There's a problem in here with evil in all of us. Evil is not just something out there. Evil is, listen, let's be honest, right? I mean, your thoughts, right? Uh, where, where, you, where, you, where you do your internet searching, um, where you spend your money, uh, how you live your life. I mean, evil is just not out there. It's, it's in here, too. So how do we apply this golden rule? Well, the good news is what goes around comes around, but there's a gospel rule that's way better than the golden rule. And the gospel rule is this. What goes around will come around for all of us, watch this, unless what, what goes around goes through the cross of Christ Jesus. So for, for, Christ Jesus, for, for Christians, the really good news is what goes around doesn't come around back to us uh, just completely. What should come back to us is God's wrath. What should come back to us uh, is judgment. Instead of coming back to us, it goes through Jesus, goes through the cross. He absorbs the, the wrath. He absorbs the judgment, and he gives us the goodness. So for Christians, we realize that Jesus has paid it all. All to him we owe. Jesus became a curse, so why? We can enjoy the friendship and the blessings of God. So we're just grateful uh, for that reality. But woe to him who ponders. Second thing is, woe to him who builds a house of cards. And this is verses 9 through 11. It says he's, he's building a house. The Hebrew word here is very interesting. Uh, the Hebrew here for house could also mean legacy. It could be dynasty. It goes beyond just a home. It's saying, say, saying woe to him who wants to build not just a house, but a legacy, a dynasty uh, for themselves. And he wants to use evil to do it uh, with greed. Uh, this is a greedy one with bloodshed and violence. Um, and it's interesting how they say they, they want a home, they want to build a home. This is the evil that's in a nest, it's comfortable, but it's far enough out of the reach of their enemies. Don't we all long for that? Don't you long for just something that will get you out of harm's way? Something that will keep the world from crashing in on you. 
Something that makes your enemies be a little bit further away. God, we long for that. We run for that. We, we try to find it in our vacations. We try to find it in our bank accounts. I mean, we long for a security that the world can't touch. We long for a security that the market can't crash. We long for a security that a nation can't invade. We long for it. We all long for that. And here are the evil people trying to build their house with bloodshed, uh, with greed. And guess what God's word says? It's going to fail. Your legacy is going to fail. Your dynasty is going to fail. Your house is going to crumble. And it's going to basically say, those who build with violence and bloodshed, by the way, your demise will be violence and bloodshed. What goes around comes around. And it's interesting. The evil, they built a haunted house. Did you read it? It says, it says the stone cries out and the beam answers. That's a haunted house. What the heck is happening here? You're building something. Your stones are crying out and your beams are answering it, saying, this is evil, this isn't right, this isn't justice. Mike, that's a scary house. You don't build those, do you? <laughs> Man, spooky. So no matter what happens, if you're building apart from Christ Jesus, it's haunted. It's not going to work. It's futile. I love in, in, in every wedding I've ever done, I've always mentioned uh, Matthew 7. And in Matthew 7, Jesus is going to tell a parable compares compares a wise man and a foolish man. It's very interesting their similarities, and it's very interesting their, their differences. The similarities are they both hear God's word, and the foolish man hears God's word and says, whatever, God, you're so old-fashioned. I'm going to do it my way. And he goes and he builds a house on sand because anything that's not built on Christ, the solid rock, will fall. But he says to the wise man, you've, you've heard God's word and you've applied it. I mean, some of you just, you know, you're young, you grew up in the church, you've heard it, but you say, you know what, this is for me, I'm going to walk by faith, I'm going to apply it, and you build your life on Christ, the solid rock. But I love what Jesus says. He says, the difference between the wise and the foolish is not circumstances, because the rains fall on both, and the floodwaters rise to both, and both have everything they own threatened. You're a Christian, praise the Lord. Walk by faith, awesome. Are you exempt from the trials of life? Are you kidding? The floods are coming. Some of you are in the rains right now, aren't you? I mean, some of you are just saying, God, please stop the rain. I mean, I'm just tired of wearing rain boots, you know? Um, but he's basically saying, if you, if you build on Christ, it's going to stand. I mean, I'm not sure what he's going to wash away, but you're going to stand. So don't build a house of cards. Don't build a haunted house. And then he says this, Woe to him who builds the city of man instead of the city of God. Now, it doesn't say exactly that, but it says, Woe to you who are going to build a city this way. And this is kind of the, the pinnacle of image bearers, what we do. We build our homes. We build our cities. Uh, we build our communities, right? We, we, we build our, our reputations. I mean, that's about as much as you can build is to build a city. And the evil, those who are attempting to build a city, a culture, a community. And here's what they were trying to do. They were trying to build it. For themselves. It's for us. It's comfortable. It kind of makes me a little nervous of all these communities that pop up in, in Florida. Do they not? We, if you're too old, we don't, I'm too young, we don't want you. We're, we're, we're this kind of people. We got some big gates here. We want to keep all the bad people out. We're going to build a little something here for ourselves. Keep those bad people over there, right? Uh, all those other people. And again, I'm not trying to rip on all those communities. I'm sure that there's some good there. But let me get to the point. If you're... If you're living your life trying to build for yourself a name, if you're trying to build for yourself a city for yourself, 
These are those who are trying to build a city for their own name. They were trying to build a city for their own fame. They were trying to build a city for their own renown. They were trying to build a city for their own glory. And he's basically saying, if you're trying to build a life, uh, if you are living your life for yourself, uh, for your retirement, uh, just for your family, if you are so myopic and so focused that it's just all about you and your name, uh, you're missing it. It's going to crumble. It's going to fall. He uses two words here. It's fire and vanity. It's fire and empty. If you are building apart from Christ Jesus, it will burn uh, one day, uh, and it will be useless. It won't work. Throughout Scripture, we see the evil men and women try to build a city of man. It starts with, actually starts with Nimrod in early chapters of Genesis. But you get to Babel. It's interesting what happens in Babel, right? I mean, what did they say? The people stop doing what God has called them to do. And they say, hey, let's build a city for ourselves. Let's build a place for our name. Uh, let's, let's do this for us. This feels so good. And not only that, let's build a tower to heaven. Let's tell God how we're going to relate to him. Let's tell God how it works. So, so we're going to build a name for ourselves. We're going to build a city for ourselves. We're going to build a tower that we can go up and talk to God when we want to talk to him the way we want to talk to him because we want him to serve us. And God looks down and he's like, what are you guys doing? What's this little tower you built here? Nice little tower. <laughs> you kidding me? You, 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 you're doing this? This is the best you could come up with? I'm going to mess up all your language so you, you can be so stupid. You know, that's what we do as sinful men. We try to build a city for ourselves. But the beautiful thing is that God calls us, watch this, to build the city of God. God calls us to be a part of his kingdom, the kingdom of God. And it's such an important kingdom that Jesus will say, seek ye first the kingdom of God. Don't you be building that city of man. You be building the city of God. And when you pray, here's what I want you to pray. Pray that his kingdom would come, his will would be done. Don't be praying that your kingdom would come, that your will would be done. And he's going to say, this, this city of God, I mean, this, this, this is like a, a great treasure. It's so important that sell everything you have. It's like a pearl of great price. When you find it, get rid of everything else. So make sure you got this. Build the city of God. Why? Listen to the beautiful. In the midst of all this darkness, there's light. Because the city of God wins. He's got all this woe, and it's almost like he just pulls out of his back pocket, and he quotes other scripture, and he says, by the way, the entire earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. You know what he's saying? The glory of God's going to win. The city of God's going to win. I mean, I know we're right here in the midst of time. We're trying to space, trying to figure it all out. But walk by faith. God wins. Walk by faith. His kingdom will fully come. Walk by faith. Jesus is coming back. Walk by faith. He's coming back as King of kings and Lord of lords. Know the fact that every knee will bow. Every tongue is going to confess. This earth will be filled with the glory of God. Amen. And we rejoice in that reality. So we live today for the glory of our great God, for the good of our neighbor. What kingdom are we building? What city are we building? What name are we going after? God wins. God wins. God wins. God wins. And what do we do now? The righteous walk by faith, right? So right now we've got to walk by faith, trusting. It looks dark. It's bleak. But we're in the second inning, the third inning. It's not over yet. We might be down on the scoreboard, but guess what? God wins. The faith in Christ uh, to fill the earth with his glory should compel us. Oh, Lord Jesus, hasten the day. Oh, God's people, live by faith. Share your faith. Woe to him who drinks the cup of shame. 
This is in verses 15 to 17. It's, it's really, this is so beautifully pointed. And by the way, the entire Hebrew here is incredibly beautiful. It's using alliteration. It's using onomatopoeia. I mean, there's so much beauty in this text right here that we miss because we don't understand the Hebrew. And don't think your pastor is so smart. He gets it all. I mean, I've studied Hebrew, but other people are telling me, hey, don't forget, this is how cool this parallelism is. This is how cool how alliteration is used here. These are the Hebrew words that sound alike. And he gets up to this and says, woe to him who drinks from this cup. And this cup is going to be the cup of shame. Scripture says that God gave this cup, and it's a cup of God's wrath. And here's what happens in Habakkuk. It's really incredible. God says, hey, by the way, I've given this cup of wrath. I've given it to the Chaldeans. I've given it to the Babylonians. And I'm going to make them, make the nations drink. I'm going to make the nations drink from it. And, and this is a part of God's judgment. Now, wait a minute. You only scratch your head and say, wait a minute. This doesn't make any sense, does it? The Babylonians, those who get drunk and strip their captives naked, these drunken perverts are the ones you're going to use? How does that make sense? Listen to Jeremiah 51.7. Don't you love God's word? This is, this is how they all connect. Babylonian was a golden cup in the Lord's hand, making all the earth drunken. The nations drank of her wine. Therefore, the nations went mad. God says that there's a cup right now. Right in this passage, he says there's a cup in the Lord's right hand right now. And he's saying, this cup that is in my hand. Now watch this. This is a cup of God's wrath. And he's saying to the, to the Babylonians, he says, you made others drink from this. You exposed their nakedness. You use this for your own gain. Guess what? The, the Lord's got this cup of wrath that's in his hand. He's going to make you drink it. The Babylonians, you're going to drink this wrath. And guess what it's going to do? You're going to vomit all over yourself. You think, you think you're living for your glory? It's going to be so glorious, you're going to puke all over yourself. And you're going to be laying in your nakedness. And he says it this way. You're going to expose your uncircumcision. How do you expose your uncircumcision? You're naked. You're going to realize you're a pagan. I got this cup of wrath. And yeah, in a mystery, mysterious way, I used you to bring judgment on others, but guess what? You're drinking it. And you're going to drink this cup of wrath, and it's going to expose who you are. And the wicked will get drunk, and they'll exchange their glory for shame. That's what they've done. They get drunk, and they vomit all over themselves. They get drunk and think, let's just go conquer the world. Let me go vomit all over myself, saying that my land should be your land, and I'm going to take yours. I mean, let me do all that stuff. But come back. Let me tell you something glorious, something even better, something that's unbelievable. And it's the glorious gospel. Do you know that cup that's in the Lord's right hand that he says to Babylon, I want you to drink it? You know what's absolutely unbelievable about the story of the Bible? The cup of God's wrath he gave to his son. What father does that? What father would give to his only begotten son a cup of his wrath and his son knew that he had to drink it. And don't you think for a minute that the son didn't know what was going to happen because he is agonizing in the garden of Gethsemane to sweat is pouring, blood is coming out of his sweat glands. And he cries out, he says, oh Lord, don't let me drink this cup. This is your wrath. I mean, this is your anger towards sin. God, don't let me drink this. Please let this cup pass from me. But your will be done. God makes him drink it. The father makes him drink it. And he drinks the cup of God's wrath on the cross. And, he, and we know it because he cries out. He says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you idle? Why are you watching? Why? 
Are you pouring your wrath upon me? Why do I have to drink to the dregs the wrath of God? Why? So the blessings of God can be drunk deeply by you and me so that we have the cup of God's blessing. I mean, it's throughout Scripture. He says, listen, you mess up. My wrath is coming. You do the right thing. I'm going to give you the right stuff. But you know what? You all mess up. So I'm going to take that cup of wrath, that cup that I gave to the nations, that cup that I gave to the Babylonians, to have everybody else drink of it, the cup I gave to the Babylonians that exposed their nakedness, I'm going to give that cup of wrath to my own son so that we could taste the blessings of God. That is the gospel of Jesus Christ. I'm going to take my own son. I'm going to expose him. I'm going to put the shame on him. I'm going to strip him naked. I'm going to let him hang on the cross so I could robe you in my righteousness, so I could call you as my own. Jesus bore our shame to share his Father's glory. Jesus was stripped naked to clothe us with his own righteousness. Glory be his name. Lastly, woe to him who makes worthless idols. It's hard for us to figure this out because who in the world is in their right mind is going to carve something out of wood and worship it, right? I mean, who of us in our right mind is going to pour something out of gold and worship it? I mean, we're not, we're not that dumb, are we? I mean, we're not going to make an idol, are we? I mean, who, who, is anybody going to go home and bow down to a, a piece of wood? Is anybody going to go home and bow down to a piece of gold? Of course you're not. We're going to do something much more sophisticated. <laughs> our wood is our houses. Our gold is our accounts. I mean, don't think for a minute we don't have idols. Our idols look different. But we have idols. An idol is anything you've set your affection upon that is, you're hoping to find life and meaning in. An idol is anything that you put your hope in. An idol is something you put your identity in. An idol. And our idols are a whole lot more sophisticated than their idols. But they are idols. And John Calvin was right way back in the 1500s. It said about us is that, that our hearts are like idol-producing machines. I mean, the sinners, all we do is we make idols, things to worship, mostly ourselves. But we are more sophisticated than the Babylonians. But this is what it says. They trusted in themselves. They made for themselves their own gods. How stupid. I mean, how stupid to make your own gods, Right? They're lifeless, they're speechless, they're useless. And God is in his temple. And it says, and all will be silent. I love this. Here you have a, a, a dumb, dummy idol. It's got no life, and yet you have the life of God in his temple. And all should be silent. Because he is God. You know what this is saying? Evil will not have the final word. He will. God is more serious about the problem of evil than we are. God will bring judgment to bear on evil. He will. He's going to bring judgment. And it's not going to be pretty. But God brought judgment to his son. So that the evil sinners like you and me can be forgiven and free. That's the gospel. The Romans 3 will say that in Jesus he is both the just and he's the justifier. He's the one who's holy God and yet makes us holy in God's image. He's just, and he justifies us through his life, death, and resurrection. Habakkuk was not silent before God. He cried out and said, God, how come? I got two complaints. But the questionings from now on will stop. 
And what will come is him walking by faith in praise. Be silent in God's presence in awe of him. But sing his praises. Walk by faith. Justice is coming. And walk in hope. The cup of God's wrath. Jesus drank to the dregs. No more. No more for us. All we have is God's blessing. And one day the whole earth will be filled with the knowledge and the glory of God. Oh, let us long for that day and walk by faith until then. Amen? Let's pray. Father God, thank you for the fact that you are a holy and just God. But God, we're so grateful that you're a merciful God. We're so grateful that you're not a God with a small, short fuse like many of us have. We're so grateful that you're long-suffering and patient with sinners like us. And God, it's hard. I, I just confess, uh, we're not going to be able to figure out the puzzle completely on this side of glory. And you're going to do things that make us scratch our heads because your ways aren't our ways and your thoughts aren't our thoughts. And you're going to allow things that we don't understand. And even now, God, I, I know. I know that from my friends that have, have friends that daughter gave birth to a, uh, uh, to a daughter that's probably not going to make it. Um, and we want to know why. Why, God? Why? Why, why, why? why do young people suffer? Why does the innocent seem to be done so wrong? Why do the wicked seem to prevail? Why? But God, may our questions turn to silence when we gaze on you, the God who is and the God who is in his holy temple and who fills us as the temple of God. And we realize that we are to walk by faith, knowing that one day, one day, every tear will be wiped away, and one day, every sin will be forever banished. And one day, the glory of God will fill the earth, and Christ Jesus will come back as king. But until that day, may we walk by faith. Amen.